Welcome to the Greater Church Podcast. We are praying that wherever you find yourself on the journey, that this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. And now, here's today's message. Hey, I'm reading from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 in a familiar passage. Jesus, the Bible says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commands that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. Other version says that he bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was, was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Over the next few minutes, I want to speak to you from this familiar passage. And I want to speak to you from this subject or this title if you're taking notes. Red-handed. Red-handed. Would you pray with me? Uh, dear God, we love you. Up until this moment, Lord God, we've... I mean, this worship team has been incredible. and They've practiced. And Father, our G-Kids team has, I mean, just set up an incredible moment for kids. They're teaching them about Jesus being the true superhero right now as we speak, as we pray. Father, our host team, Lord, has prepared and set up so much of what we have here, Lord God. And my God, there's so many different teams that have gone into this thing. We did what we can do. Now, Father, we pray that you would do what you do. Father, we pray, Lord, that as I communicate the gospel, that you would save, that you would draw all men unto yourself. It's not a well put together message. It's not the piano. It's not the atmosphere. It's you, Jesus. You're the only one that can save. And it is the gospel that has the power to do so. So, Father, as I attempt Lord God to be able to speak and communicate it Father I pray that you would find yourself in the middle of my words and that your spirit Lord God would do the work Father we love you and we thank you it's in Jesus name we pray Lord amen and amen come on one more time would you put your hands together and make some noise for Jesus in his place amen red hand there are in the Bible stories and parables and Jesus Though he would find himself involved in stories, they would actually teach lessons. And then he would use parables to be able to teach other lessons. And so both of these things, the stories were real things that were actually happening. And then the parables were stories that he would creatively come up with. Some of which we see some of the most craziest motion pictures. As a matter of fact, I was watching an interview um, that was in a secular station. And one of the individuals who was being interviewed, he said, yeah, because you know, it's like, like the old saying, iron sharpens iron. I ain't no old saying, bro. That's in the Bible. But you watch as Jesus' parables and scriptures, they come to life and so many people have taken them and used them in so many ways because they actually help us. Stories can transform somebody's life. The very gospel, it's a story. 
It's the story of a person who left Jesus himself, who left heaven, walked amongst us, lived a sinless life. He died for our sins. Three days later, he came back to life, offered his life, and today he is still alive. It's a story. It's the gospel. My story was a lot different than Jesus' story. Coming up as a teenager, and I've been very candid about my story, um, I, I had some issues. Um, I hated school. How many of y'all just hated school? Be honest, you in church. All four of us, you know what I mean? Team hates school. That's it. Some of y'all don't want to raise your hand because your kids are next to you. You should have told them to go G kids. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I wasn't too excited about school, so what would we do if we hated school? Some of us that weren't born Christian. I wasn't born in a Christian household. Like, I didn't have my first dance at a youth ministry. Like, I, 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 was, I lived a life way outside of God. I didn't know who God was until I got into my late teens, into my early 20s. That's when I figured out who God was. So what I would do is I hated school. I would skip school. How many of y'all know what skip school is? In the South, I think they call it playing hooky. Marvin, we know what that is. You feel me? Like we would either skip school or we'll go to the portables to go smoke weed. Can't believe this pastor just said that from a platform. You're going to learn about us real quick. What would happen, though, is that I hated school. So what I would do is that I would jump the gate and I would just run away from the security guards, knowing that they know my name, but I had a system because I knew... Side note, I come from a pre-Google world. <laughs> I was born in the 1900s. We had things a little bit different. We didn't have, <laughs> so bad. We didn't have, we didn't have like voicemail where like now you call voicemail. We actually had answering machines. How many of y'all re remember answering machines? Not the big tape of cassette. It was the little one. You know what I mean? So I had a system. If I skipped school and I came home, if I looked at my answering machine, if the light was blinking, then I knew I was okay. Why? Because my mom, um, up until the moment that she passed away in her late 70s, she was a Cuban immigrant and she never learned the language English. So that made it easy for me because I would go and I'd hit the button, beep, and do that. And as soon as I heard it, then I would know like, hey, my teacher's saying, hey, this truck, he didn't go to school today. I would just tell her, hey, they're just saying I need to dollars because they're doing a special lunch it was easy I lied I wasn't a Christian I was a secular individual but we we had these little answering machines some of y'all remember the answering machines some of y'all had depending on where you were raised you had different types of answering machine some of y'all when somebody called your house it was like thank you so much for calling the Echeverria residence unfortunately we're not available right now please leave your name and you know and, and so on and so forth and then there was a, a different type of group, depending on where you were raised, whatever you came up with, there were some of us that when you hit, boom, the answering machine would come. Darling, I, I can't explain, where do we lose our way? Girl is driving me insane. Hey, what's going on? You've reached Chino. Pacino is not available at the moment. Why do we do that? Like third part. So cringy. Like, I mean, y'all, some of y'all did it to Keith Sweat. Y'all did it to all type of stuff. I know you at Garth Brooks, whatever. <laughs> I mean, we had it and we recorded it. It was the weirdest. It was so cringy, dude. But I, I knew and I had a system because I was like, okay, if the voicemail, if I see the light blinking, then I know I'm good. Well, here it is that on this particular day, I decided to walk into my house because I had been skipping all day. And finally, when I get to my house, my mom, she's cooking dinner. Now, my mom at this time, she was extra healthy. You know what I mean? Like she was more healthy than normal. She was just, you know, healthy. She was, she was healthy. And so, so my mom would cook 
these meals and I mean, and she'd be slaving in the kitchen. I mean, she was just amazing. So I walk into my house and when I walk into my house, I look and the first thing I look at is to see if the answering machine light was blinking. So the answering machine light was not blinking. So what did I think? I've concluded that the school never even called. They didn't see me because at the age of 16, you think you know everything and you are the smartest individual in the entire planet and nobody knows your schemes or your tactics. I mean, you have the best brain. You should be president. And so I walk in and I'm like, okay, I don't see that thing. And then my mom, surprisingly, she turns to me. She's like, hi, in all Spanish, I'm translating in English. Hi, how are you? I'm like, I'm good, Mima, what's up? How was school? School's, school was amazing. I had so much fun. She's like, what did you learn? I was like, uh, fractions. It's like stupidest thing. It's like three, six. Just make it one, two, bro. We're never going to use that again. Decimals. That's like the devil. Like, I don't want none of that. I'm like, me, I don't, you know, fractions and geometry and stuff. And then I'm, I'm a little nervous because it's weird. I know the light isn't blinking, so I think I'm good. And she says, what did you eat? I panicked, y'all, because it was a Tuesday, but I told her that we ate pizza. You don't have pizza until Fridays. It was a Tuesday. So I panic. I said, pizza. Slowly, as my mom is talking to me, I'm slowly seeing her that she's just coming. And I'm like, oh, we're just having plain conversation. This is a good thing. Like, there's nothing wrong. Time out. I, I, I'm, I'm from the pre-Google days. So I know now it's like, you know, the, the cool thing is time out. You know what I mean? You take your kids' cell phones. We didn't have the internet. They didn't take my MySpace away. Like it was, we, we didn't have that stuff. I didn't have time out. We had knockout. Two totally different things. Two totally different things. So as my mom goes, like she's slowly coming into me, she was, you know, she was extra healthy. I was, I was very slim and fast and agile and she knew this, so she was very smart. So all of a sudden, as I'm sitting there talking to her, she just grabs me. And like, once she holds me, she like wrapped her leg out. And I'm like, what in the National Geographics? And I'm sitting there like, so Cuban tarantula, like what, what is going on? And she's like, so you were in school, huh? It's like, you ever seen those movies where they're like, they show you a picture and they're like, you're probably wondering what happened. <laughs> and uh, it went down. Unfortunately, I am Cuban. And Cuban and Caribbean parents, uh, knockout is a little different. We didn't just get one. We got it on syllable. And if it was English, it was easy because it was just like, so you were in school. I could take that like a champ, fake cry and everything. But in Spanish, it was, as she's holding me, I don't even know where she pulled out a belt. It was like in her hair. She's like, Chew. pulls it out. Entonces tu estabas en la escuela. Never left a leg. Just the leg in there. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is abusive. But I came from a generation that, you want to call the police? Here you go, buddy. And if the police came, which you never did, the police would probably whoop you. <laughs> How many of you know that I was caught red-handed? I mean, I had did something. How many of you have ever been caught red-handed? Maybe you didn't skip school, but you did some dumb stuff. I know, all 13 of us, everybody else, I see your teeth and your mouth straight. I get it. You're holy. I got some other parts of the message for you. But there are some individuals here that we've made some mistakes. We're introduced to this woman who made a grave mistake. 
This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And I know that that word and the surrounding thoughts of that word, they are heavy and they mean different things to others because we have had experiences with that. But I want you to open up your heart and I want you to listen and maybe put yourself in the perspective of different individuals during this story that happened to Jesus. The Bible says this, this woman is caught in the act of adultery, whether she was married or he was married, they just were not married to each other and they were caught by the religious leaders. And I want you to see something because the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 that if a man, it's going to come up on the screens, if a man or a woman is caught in the act of adultery, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. So we're talking about in the Mosaic law, these individuals that God wasn't trying to produce capital punishment because he hated them what he was trying to do is produce holiness and men have taken the law and at this point they had construed it and misconstrued it where's the man because it was only the woman see they had did things for financial gain but they're bringing this to Jesus legally and saying Jesus in a form of a trap this woman is supposed to die what do you say if we strip the intentions and the motives of what these individuals did by bringing this woman that was caught in the act of adultery, I think it's a beautiful picture of what the church needs to look like. That when people are caught making some dumb mistakes, that we're not the individuals that are sitting on Facebook crushing them. Oh, I knew it, fake pastor. Oh, I knew it. Look at me, fake Christian. This person, I knew he was going to do that, that we wouldn't be the individuals that are crushing people that are broken, hurting and have made a mistake and have sinned before God. I'm going to show you how Jesus treated that lady. But in honesty, this is what the church needs to look like, that we don't sit there and crush them, eliminate the, the, the motives of them trying to attack Jesus or trying to make Jesus look some type of way. And just look at the picture that they brought her to Jesus. That is what we are supposed to do, that we're supposed to be bringing people to Jesus, not condemning them, not embarrassing them, not crushing them for the mistakes and the things that they've done in their life. Man, I applaud you for so many of you guys. Over the last four weeks, you've heard me sit from this platform and I've motivated you to stop looking at yourself and to look outwardly. And there is somebody who is sitting next to you. There's a family, they're friends. There are people maybe that didn't come, but they're watching online. And because of your obedience to the kingdom of God, not to Chino, we're watching God do an amazing work. And I wanted to say thank you for everyone that invited somebody, everybody that went out of their way to bring somebody here. You can give yourself a round of applause. Come on, you can clap a little better than that. Some of y'all are wondering, oh wait, this was all part of a strategy. It was. You're in a trap. Close the doors, Andrew. So weird. So weird. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm claustrophobic. The Bible says that these men, they bring this woman and they stand her in front of Jesus. Jesus now is in church. So think about this woman standing there in front of Jesus as Jesus is preaching. The Bible says that he was teaching and they stand this woman. I can only imagine if she was caught in the act of adultery. You don't do adultery with your clothes on. So this woman had to have some type of linen sheet, some type of sackcloth. There had to be something that they covered her and grabbed her and brought her before Jesus. Standing in front of church is this woman that was so broken, so messed up. This woman who was deserving of death. This woman who looks a lot like us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 23 says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that, man, our righteousness is as filthy rags. I look just like that woman because I have messed up so much and I've done so much wrong that I look like that woman. I should not have been in the place that I am right now. That woman is representative of the church. That woman is representative, yeah, the church. We're an adulterous bunch. 
because we love the Lord so much, but then we turn to politics. We love the Lord so much, but we turn to our system, our money, our own dealings, our own thoughts, our mental, emotional health or lack thereof. And we find ourselves in a place where sometimes we walk away from Jesus in so many different ways. I mean, dogmas, things that we learned, we've put those things so much further. Our jobs, sometimes we put them so far ahead of our families. We put all these things in front of God when God is desiring for you to have a relationship with him, for you to be with him. He loves you and he wants to be with you. This woman is standing before them. And the Bible says that they say, yo, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The Bible says... The law of Moses says that she should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus does something that in my life he's done, he's done a few times. The Bible says that he just bends down and it says, and he acts as if he didn't hear them and he begins to write on the ground. That picture, though it may communicate a thought that Jesus is ignoring them, I've taken this outside of scripture and I've seen it in my own personal life sometimes. Well, man, I, I'm dealing with some heavy stuff. And I've prayed and I've fasted. And I'm like, God, I, I'm, man, this is happening right now. And I need you to help me in this moment. And a day has passed. And I'm like, yo, Jesus, do you, are you hearing this? Like, I fasted. I did what you asked me to do. I read the Bible. I read four chapters. Like, I mean, I just, I'm getting in this thing. Gee, what's going on? And I just feel like he's silent. Because the problem is this, Jesus is never going to speak to your promise, to the problem. We spoke about this, yes, last Sunday. Jesus doesn't speak to your problem. He always creates solutions. So in what you may think that God is being silent is because he's actually moving and he's doing things on your behalf. I can pass this microphone around and I guarantee you that several of you would be able to give a story, a testimony, a story in which you ask God, God, I need you to come through because my wayward son, because my marriage, because of my finances, because of the job. And all of a sudden, in what you thought that God was going to act how you thought he was going to do it he did it the complete opposite way because not only is your boss crazy but now your boss fired you now all of a sudden your child has left home they ran away they left they left they, they didn't want to deal with you anymore you find yourself in a place where you're like yo Jesus are you even listening to me but all of a sudden I can give you this microphone and though it has taken times for some days, for some months, I know that there's story after story of how Jesus actually intervened in the midst of your relationship, in the midst of your finances. And though that job lets you go, all of a sudden now you're happy because you're like, man, I would have never had this job. I would have never had this relationship. Thank God he broke up with me. Don't, don't amen too much. Some of y'all look on Facebook and you're like, thank you, Jesus. But those things had to end. Here's what I want you to see. The picture of Jesus bending down is actually a picture and an illustration of the gospel. That Jesus would leave the splendor of heaven. I mean the beauty and the golden streets. And I mean all of this incredible splendor. And he would step out of eternity. And he would step into time. And he would find himself walking through the Palestine cobblestone with feces and different things. He would walk and find himself tired. He would sweat. He would be hurt. He would have all of these things. And he would find himself in a space where he would bend down in the middle of your situation. Is this not a picture of the gospel? A Jesus that would leave his splendor and find himself right in the middle of your mess at rock bottom this woman was scared she was going to die and Jesus right there where he was he met her right at rock bottom I know Jesus had to stand up to save you he was good he had to get low with me 
I was in some pretty bad situation when Jesus had to meet me. I know that he had to stand up for you, but for me, he had to get super low and super dirty. And he did just that because 41 years later, here I am preaching the beautiful gospel of Jesus because he came and he rescued me. He found me in the muck and mire and he delivered me and set me free. He gave me a purpose and then he set me to be able to continue on the mission that he started. Because it wasn't just about him coming down here. It was about him continuing an assignment. That assignment has been passed to us. The Bible says that he's sitting there and he begins to write. I think it's a picture of the gospel. I don't care where he wrote on the ground. Some people say it was the sin. Some people, it was just a picture of him ducking down, stooping down, bending down. And then the Bible says that they start, hey, Jesus. Hey, buddy. Woo. You know when you're in the supermarket and your husband is calling you? I'm horrible. I scream her name. Lynn! She hates it with a passion. Lit, boo, where are you? Shut up. What do you mean? Hey, Jesus. Hey, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. I see you drawing. Look like a regular old Picasso. Picasso wasn't born, but it's my story, whatever. I, I see you. The Bible says that Jesus stands up. And Jesus, he switches the game on him. Flips it. The Bible says that Jesus turns, he stands up, saying, yo, Jesus, here it is. This man messed up. All of this stuff happened. He's like, cool. He who is without sin, why don't you throw the first stone? Because what they're doing is that they're creating this judgment around this thing. They're creating this, this ruler around her where they're like, yo, this woman hasn't measured up. And I think we all file in that. How many of y'all love to go to the fair? How many of y'all love to go to, Ray, this is participation, guys. You can I don't know what's going on. How many of y'all love to go to the fair? How many of you guys, okay, let me ask this. How many of y'all like to go on the rides at the fair? Okay, I can't stand y'all. How many of y'all, I used to be like y'all, but then I figured out that I don't want to die. Like I want to live a long life. You know what I mean? How, how many of you guys, you just go to the fair to eat? How many of y'all just, hey, y'all hand went up too fast. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's me. Elephant ears, turkey legs. Come on, let's end this service. Father, we love you. We thank you. Let's go eat some bread. I remember my kids, they were a lot smaller. And my kids, when they were a lot smaller, there were certain rides. You know how they have like the little line that you can't like go in because you got to be like 54 inches tall or whatever. And then, you know, sometimes it'd be a clown, different things. So my kids at this point, they were super small. So they couldn't go in there. Levi could not go in there. Ramses could go in there. So we would, we would bring one of my kids and it's like, yo, it's for safety. Your kid, if he's small, he can slip out of the, out of the thing and he can die. So me as a good father, I mean, I love my kids. I'm never going to allow for something bad to happen to my kids. You feel me, Damien? Like, I'm not going to allow something bad to happen to my kids. So what do I do? I'm at Six Flags. My kid is not tall enough. So what do I do? I put him on my side and I'm like, just walk this way. Just walk. Just shut up. Don't say nothing. I used to put paper napkins in their shoes. Stop judging me, man. Whatever. They would catch us and I'd be like, it's his birthday. <laughs> Just lies after lies. You remember that, Levi? <laughs> Don't agree with me. <laughs> what happens, though, is that if they weren't, they weren't tall enough, they weren't allowed to go into the ride. And that's what Christianity is about sometimes. We create these fake lines where somebody who is broken, hurting, far from God, they got to measure up to a certain line. And before you know it, you're so far from God, and you come to think to yourself, there's no way that I could even, this was a hassle for you to even walk into the church today. 
Because for you to even get right with God, you feel like you got to get yourself right first. And I'm not, I'm not tall enough. I got to grow a little bit. I got to learn a few more songs. I got to read a little bit more of the Bible. I got to get more in tune with Jesus. I got to put down the marijuana. I got to put down the alcohol. I got to put down the pornography. I got to put down the sin. And then I could come to God. Can I tell you that you'll never be able to do that by yourself? You're chasing a cycle and a devil's myth that you will never be able to find yourself clean enough to come to God. Because what you're doing is that you're trying to paint a Mona Lisa. You're trying to paint this beautiful art. But have you seen the God that painted the face of a young black baby, of a young white baby? Can you paint a sunset at six o'clock when you look over the mountains? You can't do that. God's standard is so much more higher. What if? What if it's not about you getting yourself right, but about you saying, I'm going to come as I am. And God, you're going to help me to stop this. And you're going to help me to stop that. And you're going to help me to stop these things. That line is fake. That line is something that the enemy has placed there. And unfortunately, even the church has put there because you got a little bit of a beard, because your pants are too tight, because your pants are hanging down, because you're doing this. You got a hat on in church. You're chewing gum. And we've created these lines where people walk up to a church and they're like, yo, I don't want to do that. I don't, I'm not dressed up enough. I don't have a suit coat. I don't have a tie to be able to walk in. May we never be the type of church that a person will walk in here and because of the exterior, they would find themselves far from God. The work that Jesus does is in our heart. He doesn't take bad people and and make them good he takes dead people and brings them back to life that is called regeneration and the job of the church is to be able to walk alongside of the process of discipleship for them to start walking through it because you messed up too you got saved and you had all the scripture and you still did that so it's the process of Jesus actually doing stuff the church does the same thing though we feel like we have a measuring line that's why whenever you sin and you feel like, man, I'm not tall enough. I'm not as tall as that line. That's why you go back and you made a mistake and you go and you try to earn your way back to it. That's why you say, I'm going to read five chapters of the Bible this week. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to really sing. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get up in the morning, God. And you start creating these weird standards. God, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it's the beginning of the month. I'm, I'm going to sin today. <laughs> but tomorrow, hmm, watch, brand new. I'm going to start brand new. Yo, at what point does God love you again? At, those, at what point does God accept you again? God accepts you at the point that you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. Salvation comes by that. Can I tell you that God loves you in your broken, messed up state? He doesn't want you to stay like that. Come as you are. He loves you enough not to leave you as you are. Church folk, we don't have to sit here and try to measure up. We have to receive the grace of God. That's a word that I'm going to tackle in just a second. But can I tell you the first John chapter 2 verse 1? says, my little children, I tell you these things. It's going to come up on the screens. My little children, I tell you these things. I write you these things so that you do not sin. But if you does sin, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We serve a God that loves us in our mess, but loves us enough not to leave us in our mess. But please let me help you understand. You'll never be able to measure up to that line. Jesus says, I am that perfect line. It was through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that he removed that religious line. And he says, you have access to me. You have to come through me. No longer do you have to line up and measure up with all of these different religious dogmas. But if you come to me, I'm going to save you. Can I tell you, man, that in your brokest place, that's where God wants you. He can rescue you from there. You are, you are a prime candidate. Stop letting church or somebody explain to you and tell you, you got to get it all together. You come to him and he helps you get it all together. Amen. Does that mean that's a license for sin? The Bible says, Paul says, of course not. Of course not. 
I'm not telling you that now you got saved. Now I read the scripture and I could go all about sinning. That's not real love. But please understand that you have an advocate. That you have a God that can meet you where you are. Your sins don't intimidate him. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He who is without sin. That's a good place to clap. Good place. It's all right. He who is without sin, I want you to take the first stone. What he did was that he created, oh, you want a line? All right, cool. Here's a measuring line. Let's try, to, let's try to measure up. And the Bible says that one by one, these men began to drop the rocks. One by one, they started dropping the rocks from the oldest to the youngest, and they walk away from Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus goes back down, and he's sitting there. And all of a sudden, he stands up. And when he stands up, he sits there, and he looks at this woman. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And this woman looks around. She's like, I don't we never even for a moment thought about her. This woman who has been caught in the act of adultery, religious leaders are going to kill her as a Jewish person because the only way that she falls up under the law is because she's Jewish. So she understands I'm going to die because I was caught in the act of adultery. It is my legal right that I die. And now all of these individuals are bringing me to their leader. She doesn't know what's going on. Jesus looks just like them. Jesus himself was a rabbi. He was in church preaching at the temple. So she looks just like him and they're bringing her to him. They're going to kill me. And then they brought me to the leader. They're going to kill me in church. They got to take me outside of the camp. Could you imagine the brokenness, the hurtingness of this woman sitting here thinking the person who is, has my judgment is drawing on the ground. And then, he, and then he told them, he who is without sin cast the first stone. All right, here we go. I'm ready. First person's going to throw it. And she hears the stone fall on the ground and she, and she hears another stone fall on the ground and another stone fall on the ground. Slowly but surely, she starts watching as people start leaving, and she's like, I'm going to die. Like, eventually, I'm going to die. But then all of a sudden, the, the rabbi gets up. Hey, woman, who? What? Hey, where are your accusers? Uh, um, no, I don't, I don't know. Ha has anybody condemned you? No. Neither do I. First of all, that should be a word for us. Man, stop allowing the enemy to condemn you. Yo, because you made that mistake, it doesn't mean that you are that mistake. Because you did drugs doesn't mean that you're a drug addict. Because you made that mistake doesn't mean that you are that mistake. But that Jesus loves you right where you are. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 it says that he who knew no sin, Jesus, he became sin so that you can become the righteousness of God. There are so many things that you're bringing into one relationship to the other that God is not desiring for you to bring those things into the relationship. Your next boss isn't going to fire you the way that he did. Your next friend isn't going to betray you the way that they did. You got to allow, if Jesus is standing up in the middle of your situations and he's telling you that he doesn't condemn you, and man, would you stop allowing for the things that you've been dragging from season to season to continue to hurt you, to hold you back? It's not there anymore. It's like when you lose an arm or a leg, there's a thing called phantom pain. And what happens is that you still feel that you have the arm, but you don't. Yo, God, not only has he forgiven you for that abortion, but the Bible says that he has cast it in the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. So far has he forgiven your 3 a.m. porn binge. 
that God loves you enough to forgive you. This is the gospel, guys. We don't earn this. God gives it to us freely, but it's not really freely. I want to show you something. Neither do I. That messed with me for so long because theologically, that's incorrect. He who is without a sin, I want you to throw the first stone. Okay, y'all all right there? He who is without sin, I want you to throw the first stone. Jesus had set in place a law that was already established in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. If a man or woman is caught in the act of adultery, both of them shall be taken outside of the camp and they should be stoned. Jesus had set the play in motion. He who is without sin cast the first stone. But yet when he's speaking to her, he turns to her and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she's like, I don't see them. And he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That is heresy, Jesus. That's not the way this thing works. And this thing used to mess with me because I'm reading it and I'm like, yo, that doesn't make sense. You set the law. Are you going back on your word? Because Jesus, obeying the commandment of Moses, has said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Everybody has left. But everybody who is actually capable, legally able to be able to do what he says is still present because Jesus himself should have picked up a stone and he should have killed her because he had no sin in him. So he should have grabbed the rocks and he should have made the punishment happen. He who is without sin, that's you, Jesus. He who is without sin, cast the first stone, cast the first, second, and third. They left them there. She has to die. But we're introduced to this word, neither do I. Go and sin no more. We're introduced to this word called grace. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's unmerited. It's insane that this woman has slept with another woman's husband, and yet the Bible is saying that Jesus doesn't condemn her, and we're introduced to grace. Y'all remember in school, compare and contrast? In science? I think I failed science like 14 times. Until I got the Google. <laughs> in college... Let me not say that. <laughs> but you know that the word grace, compare and contrast, I can show you three different ways. I can show you three different, two different ways that we can contrast grace to see what it's not to be able to show you what grace actually is. Because I think the church has taken it and swung one way or the other. Number one, they have swung to a place that grace is not existing in the church. Because a person has made a mistake, we have labeled them a mistake. We, we will never take the tag off the adulterous woman. She will continue to be the adulterous woman, the woman with the issue of blood, the demon-possessed man. And we look at people that way. And people who hold microphones like me sometimes have created so much abuse because of that. And because you have made so many mistakes, now I can use you for my benefit. And you're going to listen and you're going to do everything that I tell you to do. And what happens is that grace is non-existence. We don't forgive. We forgive, but we don't forget. And then there's another side of this that the church has done also where it's called, my pastor used to call it legalistic grace. Well, you on Saturday popping it, on Sunday you worshiping. You got 38 Budweiser's in you on Saturday. Cussed everybody out in your family, punch holes in every wall. And then on Sunday we walk, bless the Lord, highly favored am I. Good morning, yes, Jesus is good. You're the loudest in the church. But can I tell you that grace is available to you as well? I want you to see something. I'm driving in my car. Let's just, let's just say today the team has gotten here super early and everybody, is, everybody has driven and gotten here, right? Worship team has been here. And I'm supposed to do the run-through. <laughs> and I'm like, I haven't done the run-through, production run-through. I haven't done none of that stuff. 
And I'm, I say, man, I got to get in my car and I got to go to church. And all of a sudden, what I do is that I get in my car. And as I, as I get in my car, Laurent, picture this. I'm going in a 45 mile an hour zone. I'm going 85 miles an hour. Jesus, just help me right now. Make me invisible to the police. You telling God. It's like crushing a hamburger at McDonald's and saying, Lord, remove the impurities. By the way, our hot dogs do not have impurities. We've canceled every demonic calorie, every cell fat. We've canceled it. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but I'm driving, right? I'm in a car. And all of a sudden, as I'm driving, I'm going 40 miles over the speed limit. A police officer stops me. Whoop, whoop, pull over. If you finish that, you danger. No, see, y'all secular. Y'all secular. I know that. Marvin, you ain't going to heaven. You better stop. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Police pulls me over. So I pull over. And, you know, I've learned to put all the windows down, turn the lights on. Um, the reason I've learned that super quick rabbit trail is because while everybody was talking about these individuals, I wanted to find out what was their job. And I wanted to look at kind of the space in which law enforcement is finding themselves in where these guys are working 18, 20 hours a day. And then they got to make split second decisions. So instead of me talking about them on Facebook, I actually joined the police academy, the Citizens Police Academy. And instead of just talking about them, me, Kevin, who's right here, my kids, Tommy, we were there supporting and loving and honoring them and cleaning up while the looters had destroyed all of Atlanta. And we were there picking up garbage. I don't say that to toot my horn. I just, I don't want you to understand. I don't want you to miss it. Because we, we love and we honor them. But I wanted to figure out where was the gap missing. And so I, I've, I've been a part of it. And I understand that when you get pulled over, number one, I'm trying to give you a lick here. I'm trying to help you. Don't lie. You know you took the red light. Like I'm saying, you just, hey, you know why I pulled you over? Do you ever notice that they ask you that all the time? That's it. They literally ask you that all the time. Why? Because if you answer it truthfully, and so many of our law enforcement, Carlos, Chris, I know that so many of our cops that are here, uh, they ask you that because they just want to see if you're going to be honest. They know why they pulled you over. So the cop pulls me over. He's like, hey, you know why I pulled you over? And I'm like, yeah, I was going kind of fast. He's like, buddy, you were going 40 miles over the speed limit. You weren't just going fast. You were reckless driving. Why were you doing that? And I tell him what every Christian says. Sir, I was on my way to church. <laughs> Y'all laugh too hard because you know it's true. <laughs> Going to the grocery store. You're a liar. <laughs> I'm on my way to church. <laughs> and he says, okay, cool. I know you were on your way to church. But there is a law and there is justice that needs to happen. I need you to step out of the vehicle, sir. He puts me in handcuffs. And I'm sitting there and I'm in handcuffs. I'm like, I'm going to jail. I'm like, sir, can I just call somebody? I need to call Damien because he needs to preach. I, I got to preach. He, Damien, you got to preach. Somebody got to take over. And he puts me in handcuffs and he takes me to jail. Not only does he take me to jail, I have a lengthy prison sentence because that's reckless driving 40 miles over, super speeder to the umph degree. Now I'm in jail and I have to pay restitution. I have thousands of dollars that has to come out of my bank account. That's called justice. I got what I deserve. Same scenario. I'm driving 92, going 85 miles an hour. Police pulls me over. Doo -doo, whoop comes behind me pull down all the windows I turn on all the lights put my hands on the steering wheel and he tells me hey buddy what the heck were you thinking 
I'm like, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? Yeah, sir, I was going a little fast. You weren't going a little fast. You were going 40 miles an hour. You could have killed somebody. If there was a woman in a car with a child, you would have destroyed an entire family because you're going 40 miles over the speed limit. I'm like, sir, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I messed up. And for him to go and run my license plate, for him to come back, and for him to say, man, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is stupid for me to even do this. But buddy, you, you got to slow down. You can't do this anymore. You're endangering people's lives. But I'm going to let you off with a warning. Here's your license. Slow down. That's called mercy. Here is where it gets good. Same scenario. Whoop, whoop. Pulls me over. 40 miles over. Where are you going? I was going to church, sir. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, buddy. Get in your car. And I'm going to pull my police car in front of you. And I'm going to drive. You got to go to jail. There's jail and there's, there's justice that needs to happen. So he goes and he drives. We pull up to the county courthouse. We pull up to the county courthouse. I already know what's going on. And as I'm walking in, he's walking in with me. And we go to processing, booking. That's where they take you and they do all your phone number, take your fingerprints. They do all of that stuff. And he goes and I'm doing fingerprints. I'm doing all of this stuff. And I'm like, man, I'm going to jail, man. This is crazy. And all of a sudden, once they finish all the name taking and everything, as I'm about to walk in to go through the doors to go to, my, to, go to the pod or go to the jail cell, all of a sudden, one of the security guards says, hold on one second. And this police officer steps in the way. They put him in handcuffs and he walks into the jail population. Not only does he walk into the jail population, but I didn't notice that they had took out of his wallet and he had paid thousands of dollars for my ticket. And all of a sudden now, this man is taking my jail sentence and the officers tell me, hey, go back. You no longer have anything here to do with us. And I sit there and I watch this individual walk into jail and I'm like, what the heck just happened? Grace. For so long, the church has said that Jesus had died for us. That's an incomplete story. Jesus didn't die for you. He died as you. You should have been on that cross. It was your sin that you should have paid for. The wages of sin are death. You should have paid that wage, not Jesus. But the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. He took everything bad about you and he placed it on the cross. But then he took it a step further. No other religion, no other dogma, no other theology can ever stand up to this. Not only did he take all of your bad, but the Bible says he who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in a split second. Something that though it may seem super, super free was something that cost Jesus everything. And in an uneven exchange on the cross, he has made you righteous. Why? I'll show you. In a few months in April, we're going to watch the plays and the stories of the Easter story and the cross. And we're going to look at all of the different depictions of Jesus on the cross. Jesus in blue jeans, Jesus with a little skirt on, oh, Jesus with the wrap, all type of stuff. Sometimes they mock him, sometimes they paint accurate pictures of him. But we're going to see that in Jesus, he has this crown of thorns. And you're going to watch as blood drips down his face through his lips, the very lips in which he preached from nation to nation, the very lips that he used to heal people, the very lips that he used to create the heavens and the earth. And then you're going to look down and you're going to see at his feet. And it's Jesus, the Bible says, that as he was pierced, there was a nail that went through his feet. 
And you're going to watch the very feet that went from city to city. The very feet that went from town to town proclaiming the gospel. Those feet are bloodied, broken, bruised, hurting. But then I can't help but look. That as I look at this marred picture of Jesus. Fred spread from the east to the west. And a stance that only the king of the universe could be in. I see Jesus and I look to his left and to his right. And the reason why I can receive grace so freely is because way before I was ever caught red-handed, Jesus was already red-handed for me. That as I look at each one of his hands, every drop of blood was to bring forgiveness, mercy, to bring grace to my life. This Jesus that we speak about, that died in my stead, I should have been there. That, that blood, that should have been my blood. But in an uneven exchange, that Jesus made payment for every one of your sins. That everything that you've done wrong, he pinned it on that cross. And not only did he pin it on that cross, but do you know that at the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, do you know that everything that is good about Jesus at that very point, he puts it on you. And now we become the righteousness of God. I don't know, Chino. You don't know me. I don't need to know you. I don't need to know you because I've heard stories, not parables, stories. That a little eight-year-old gang member from the streets of Miami could find himself going to jail two different times and arrested at the age of eight. That you can see that very same little eight-year-old turn into a 16-year-old, have bullet holes in his body, neck ripped open, watch him go to jail nine different times. Just a year later, to have a first child at the age of 17 years old. And then you watch that broken, hurting little boy. By the time he's 19, he's been in jail 13 different times. Committed so many sins, so far from God. Nobody introduced him, nobody taught him about Jesus. But yet in his darkest moment, for somebody to walk into a jail cell and for them to begin to preach the gospel of Jesus. And not just something that he heard, but all of a sudden that kid saw it and he understood it. And for his life to be radically changed. For him not to go home, but for him to go to prison for five years. And for that little prison convict inside jail walls, for him to begin to preach the gospel in such a way that drug dealers were coming to the feet of Jesus. The gang members were bowing before Jesus, joining Bible studies, starting Spanish ones, English ones. And 20 something years later, the Lord would call him to Ackworth, Georgia. And on a plus one Sunday, because of the blood of Jesus, because of the redemptive power of the cross, he stands before you now, changed, redeemed, anointed, used by God, ready to kill the devil at every single point. Though he came to steal, kill, and destroy, we come to make damage in this city. Because of the grace of Jesus, I didn't deserve it. He gave it to me. Can I tell you that he gives it to you? How, Chino? How? I just read it a moment ago. It's prayer and it's faith. It's a free gift. I can't do it. You, you, your tithes are not going to do it. You dressing in white, knowing all the songs, playing the piano, serving at church, that's not going to do it. What's going to save you is faith. It's you believing that he's real. That, that's the beginning of it. That's the easy part. Then we come in as a church. But right now, 
The part that's easy, that's the part that you can do. It's the believing in your heart and it's the confessing with your mouth. Would you do me a favor and would you bow your head and close your eyes all over this place? Thanks for listening to our podcast today. The mission of Greater Church is to reach and empower all people. We hope that this message met you wherever you find yourself on the journey. If God is using this ministry to impact your life, please head to our website at www.greater.church where you can read a message from our pastors, partner with us by giving online, and learn more about what is happening in the life of our church. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on all social media platforms at My Greater 